You know, as we see the pain and the heartache and the disorder in our country, Jesus told us that in times like this, we're supposed to pray. Pray that his kingdom will come, his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the Bible gives us a vision of heaven. In Revelation chapter 7, it says, And these things I looked, and behold, a great number, which no one could number, of all nations and all tribes and all people and all tongues, would stand before the throne and stand before the Lamb. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You know, today we're looking at the challenges of life and specifically uh, a nickname of Jesus. What does it mean for him to be the author and finisher of our faith? You see, life is a lot more like a a marathon than is a sprint. I was more of a sprinter, both in track. uh, I was a water skier. I was a 110 high hurdler, a triple jumper, and a long jumper. But I also did play competitive soccer. I was on traveling teams and soccer teams. And I remember in my 30s, a group of 20-year-olds asked me to play soccer here at the sports mall in Cincinnati. And in my mind, I could still play as good as ever. So me and another elder, who shall remain nameless, decided we'd go in together. Though we were older than the rest of the group by 10, 15 years, we would just tag team whenever each one of us got tired. I'll do a quarter, you do a quarter. I said, I'll go first. So I go out there, and I'm telling you, I'm putting on a clinic for these 20-year-olds on how to play soccer. My dribbling skills, passing skills, knocking off the wall, it was indoor soccer, couple passes, and I put on almost a perfect clinic on how to play soccer for about two minutes. <gasps> and then I'm like coughing up a lung, my tongue's hanging out. I run over to the edge and I'm like, your turn, your turn. I just had forgotten. I was not prepared for the marathon aspect of a soccer game compared to a quick sprint. And today we're going to look at the skills you and I need to prepare for the sprint, but rather the marathon that is life. Now, many of you know this, right? You've done the flying pig. You've run marathons, real legitimate marathons. You know the preparation it takes, the endurance it takes, the discipline it takes. We're going to find today that there are some secrets to the nickname of Jesus in this particular passage in Hebrews that help us run the marathon of life. Now, when I was in Israel a couple years ago, I visited this incredible site. It was called Caesarea Maritime. It's this incredible palace right on the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. A lot of things happened here. Uh, Paul the Apostle was imprisoned here, and many of his words were written while listening. Just outside his prison cell is a giant place to run the games. They would do horse races there, but also they would do running races there. 
in the Greek-Roman world, the idea of running, a marathon, even the word marathon comes from that culture, right? That's why it's 26 miles long. So this idea of running and persevering and enduring was very much built into that culture. When we were on our trip, we got to sit in an arena, an actual running arena, and study the passage I'm about to share with you. So imagine yourself seated in an old rock stadium built by the Greeks and Romans. Imagine sitting in this arena. This idea from the Bible is brought to your attention. It comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. And here's the idea. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, picture all the people watching you in the stadium. And because of that, let us lay aside every weight, every sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus. What does Jesus have to do with this? Well, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. What he's saying here in, in Hebrews is that you and I can run with endurance the race of life that's set before us, especially when we know how the race began and how the race will end. Did you catch Jesus' nickname? The author, he started the race with us, and finisher of our faith. See, when you know that God was with you from the beginning, and he's with you now, and he's already in the future, and has promised to finish out your faith, finish out the good work in you, it gives you confidence to endure whatever life throws at you. Because you know the God of the universe is with you. And like an arena surrounded with people cheering you on, God is with you. He's run the race before you and you can run with endurance. Why? Because he's the author and the finisher of your faith. So we're gonna look at three aspects to this journey. Three aspects to this race that give us the tools we need to run with endurance. You know, the first tool is knowing that you're not alone. You see, God, he's successfully helped people in circumstances just like yours and just like mine. Now, this is powerful. One of the things that makes it difficult when you're going through a, a marathon moment in your life, a marathon experience in your struggle, is you feel very alone. I don't know if I'm gonna make it. No one else has faced a temptation like this or faced circumstances like this. I don't know if anyone could survive or succeed under this pressure I'm finding myself under. <clears throat> so what this nickname of Jesus gets at is you're not alone. I'm not alone. God has successfully helped people in circumstances just like yours which you're like, Chet, you don't know my circumstances. 
She said, if I told you my story, how hard it is, how difficult it is, what they did to me, what happened to me, what piled on top of me during that season last week, the last month, oh, Chad, you, you would cry with me, and I probably would. But I'd also let you know that God has successfully helped people in circumstances just like yours. You're not alone. Look how he says it. Therefore, see in chapter 11 of Hebrews, we got a list of people in all kinds of difficult circumstances through history that God worked in the middle of. So therefore, in light of that list of people, we also, we're not alone, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, there's a tendency when you're, when you're under pressure, when things are difficult, when you're in pain, to feel alone. Because I want you to lift your eyes up from your circumstances for a moment and realize you're surrounded with a great cloud of witnesses. And that great cloud of witnesses are the people God's worked with and through in similar or even more difficult circumstances in life. They weren't alone so you're not alone. What does it look like to know you're not alone? I remember standing there, studying this passage together in an arena and picturing in the stands my grandfather, my first coach, my Sunday school teacher, Moses, martyrs of the faith, Billy Graham, D.L. Moody. Now those names may not mean a lot to you, so picture in your own mind, who are the people in your life, in your experience, in your background, that you can picture in the stands cheering you on, saying, have courage, I was there. Keep trusting, I was there. Keep going, you can endure, I did as well. God wants you to know that you're not alone. He is with you, the author and finisher of your faith, and the people he's worked with in the past are with you in the middle of your circumstances. It's easy to feel alone, especially if you pride yourself at being an athlete and maybe something very, very important to you is taken away. I know that's happened in my life. In fact, I had two close friends, one several years ago and one recently, who were incredible athletes. One later in life and one in the early 20s. And it wasn't just they enjoyed sports, they found their whole identity in being an athlete. In fact, they weren't sure who they were if they weren't a swimmer, a runner, a wakeboarder, or a soccer player. But circumstances hit both of my friends. One an accident, another one a test that suggested cancer. Two people at two very different ages suddenly running a marathon they never wanted to run. The loss of the ability to ever play soccer again and potentially the loss of being able to participate in athletics the way they have for the last 50 years. And both of these friends, one a man, one a woman, said the of all the challenges they faced, it was the feeling of who am I 
if I'm not an athlete. When I come to a party, when I come to a room and people say, what are you up to? I tell about my last game, my last encounter, my last run. My whole life, my whole identity is found in being an athlete. Who am I if I'm not that? And what Jesus is saying here is, you're not alone. There's other people who've had the most important thing in their life taken from them. And when they were facing the most important thing in their life and it was taken from them, I was able to not only begin the work in them, but finish the work in them. They found courage. They found that their identity was far more than the sports they played, the money they made, the size of their savings account, or the size of their income. What does it look like for all of us to find our true identity in not what we do, but who we are? See, running the marathon of life, it's a whole series of letting go of things that are important to us and finding out that we are not the things we hold on to. That's what my friends found. And they found a, a different but new type of joy running the race of life when God, who cannot be taken away from you, became their identity rather than their health or their competence or their ability to accomplish. It's not a run any of us want to chase. It's not a run any of us want to run. But it's one we often will face. And when we do, God wants us to know we're not alone. He has successfully helped people just like us face these kind of circumstances. But I want to give you a second tool. Not only are we not alone, but I'm not helpless. Now you might say, Chad, I have never felt helpless. I'm a very self-sufficient person. I have incredible engineering. I've never felt that way. Well, that's true until you run a marathon. When you hit the wall, there's times, and maybe you've not had it yet, but there will be a moment, there will be a circumstance when you feel like I don't know what to do in circumstances like this. And God wants you and I to know that when it feels like no matter what I do, nothing helps, you're not helpless. Remember, remember that running through fear requires laying certain things aside. When you're running the endurance race, when you're facing difficult challenges, part of Jesus' nickname being the beginning and the end, the author and finisher of our faith, is that in the meantime, you don't just kind of sit back, you need to lay some things aside to be able to run the race. What do I mean? He says, let us, all of us in this journey of life, lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us so that we can run with endurance. In other words, if you want to run with endurance, there's some things you have to do. You have to lay some things aside. Lay aside weights and lay aside sin. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, again, imagine you wanted to run a marathon and you were wearing a backpack full of concrete blocks. Oh, right? This would not make the race of life very easy. Or let's say I strapped weights onto your ankles. Again, it might make you stronger if you were training for a sprint, but it wouldn't make you prepared for the race before you. Now, those who are reading this letter are going through incredibly difficult circumstances. Many of them are Jewish followers of Jesus facing burning at the stake, 
being fed to lions. Recant of what you believe or you're going to die with a sword. And so these words were not written to people in nice circumstances, but in very difficult ones. And they would have been fearful for their life even. What he says is you're not helpless here. God is with you and as you face these incredibly challenging circumstances, look for things you might need to lay aside. Weights and sins. Now the word sin means to miss the mark. It means to not go the right way, to go the wrong way. So what are some habits? What are some beliefs about who I am? If I really believe who I am as an athlete, but maybe that's gonna be taken away from me, If I'm going to run the race of life, I might need to set aside that backpack. I may not want to set aside that backpack. Or what are some habits in life that you've learned? You've learned to medicate certain feelings rather than dealing with them. You're good at being happy, but you've never learned how to grieve or how to mourn. But you're going to need that skill when you face the death of your mother or your father. Maybe you've learned to escape but you're in a circumstance you can't escape. You have to endure. If you want to know how to endure the circumstances in life, there's certain things you're going to have to lay aside. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I I ran track. When I ran track, they would do this cross training for us. One of the trainings they gave us, they'd give us these giant ankle weights that we'd put around our ankles. And so we would run these sprints with ankle weights And because of that, we would get more and more strength when you ran a 100-yard dash and a 100-yard dash with, with 20 extra pounds on each foot. But then when it came actual race time, you wouldn't run with those weights. They trained you, but now you take those weights off. You discard them. You lay them aside so that you could run the race. Jesus is saying that part of what he does in life is he begins to tap your shoulder. Say, hey, that backpack you got on, it's time to let that go. You know those weights, those habits that have served you well for 10 years or 20 years? It's time to take that off. What? I don't know who I am if I don't do it that. Yeah. So you're not helpless. And part of not being helpless is saying, what are the things in this circumstance, what are the things in this situation I need to lay aside in order to run with endurance? What does it look like? What does it look like for you and what does it look like for me? I recently had a a phone interview with a guy at our church who's had a company his father and his grandfather owned. So it was a 125-year-old company. And he said, the challenges our company has faced, the Great Depression, world wars, in one sense, it's been amazing how faithful God was to my father and my grandfather during these times. But the amount of uncertainty that's been unleashed in the last few months with everything being shut down for our company, has been unfathomable. We tried to do the right thing by our employees, even those who couldn't work in the, in the, in the shelving area, in the storage area. We kept them on payroll because we wanted to provide for them. We don't see them just as employees. We see them as a family. But my goodness, we just kept getting hit. We went into the year doing very, very well, and then one of our major clients you know, pulled out and a million-dollar deal fell through. And that was just the beginning. We're trying to continue to pay all of our family so we can get through this together. And all of a sudden, a 10-year client we had that we've always done a 30-day cash on arrival and they suddenly wanted to charge us for using our credit card an additional 3%. 
after a 10-year relationship, right in the middle of this time when we're trying to do the right thing, the insurance premium went up 22% while we're trying to help our employees. It was just one thing after another. I said, well, how have you processed this? How have you endured this? It must have felt like with every phone call, with each new factor, with each new challenge, you must have felt some degree of helplessness. He's like, oh, my goodness, yes. He said, I kept coming back to I trust that the same God who worked with my father and my grandfather will be faithful here. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't. But I know that the same God who worked out last time will work in our company and me this time. You see, he's getting at that idea, this nickname of Jesus. God began the journey with me. He was the author. And he finishes the journey with me. He's the author and finisher of my faith. So number one, you're not alone. Number two, you're not helpless. What are some things God may want you to lay aside to run the race with endurance? Thirdly, thirdly, I'm part of a plan. You're not alone, you're not helpless, but you are part of a plan. That's what's powerful about these two chapters of Hebrews. God has been working in circumstances where the the suffering seemed meaningless. But what he's saying is, remember that God started and God will finish his work in you. He's like, I don't know if I believe God works in me. I think God maybe wound up the universe and we kind of are on our own. All right, but what if? How might it change your life if you did believe or could believe that there was a plan. I love it when a plan comes together. What if you believe there was a plan? Uh, philosophers call this the meta-narrative. There's an overall narrative. Time and history is going someplace. There's a purpose to it. And what if you also knew that there was a God who made you, a God who's walking with you, and a God who has a plan for you? I don't know if I believe that. That's all right, but what if there was? Would it change your outlook on your circumstances if even if you don't see the next chapter, if you don't see what's going to happen around the corner, if you knew someone you loved and trusted had a plan? Here's what it says. Look unto Jesus. How's Jesus going to help? Well, watch. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now already it's shocking. Again, the cross is to pound railroad spikes between these two bones through that nerve in both of your wrists to twist your body and pound a railroad spike through your heels. And Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross How in the world do you get joy in an exercise designed by the Romans to torture you as long as possible? He's saying, well, what happened? It looked like meaningless suffering. It looked like God has left the building. It looks like everything is totally and completely out of control. Yet on this side of the cross, Christians believe, and we believe history reinforces the evidence that Jesus died and came back from the dead. That God took a hopeless situation and turned it into something we wear around our neck as a symbol of victory, 
a symbol of forgiveness, a symbol of faith. So how did Jesus do that? Well, for the joy set before him, he knew that by going to the cross, he would defeat evil. By going to the cross and enduring this, he would come out victorious over death. He knew that through this pain, the gain would be forgiveness and a relationship with you and I. The joy set before him, the reason he endured the cross was to be in relationship with you and I. He had a plan for you and I and he went through pain so you and I could be part of the plan. See what's going on here? He despised the shame, naked up on the cross, and sat down. He got rewarded at the end at the right hand at the throne of God. When you run the race before you, when you realize Jesus ran a race for you and he got rewarded, you realize that God is watching. See, what makes life difficult is when our suffering feels meaningless. That's why we feel alone. Does anyone see the sacrifices I'm doing here? Does anyone feel the fact that I swallowed my pride yet again, that I apologized first yet again, that I adapted again? Does anyone else see what's going on here? And the Bible says emphatically, yes, God is taking notes. So number one, you're part of a plan and God sees the sacrifice and God sees how you're enduring and God sees the selflessness. God sees what you're doing and he's using these circumstances and he's gonna reward you. Imagine if you knew, right? Isn't that what an athlete always knows? I train and I have pain because I know there's a gain. I'm gonna be stronger because of this. I'm gonna run the race and win because of the pain I'm going through. The same idea here. In the same way Jesus came into history, endured pain and was rewarded and offered relationship with you and I, you and I can know the same as we face our circumstances. You're part of a plan. Remember that nickname, God, you began this work. Help me to trust, to believe, to reach out and know that you're gonna finish the work in me. All right, so three tools. What does it mean to not be alone? to not be helpless, but to be part of a plan. I got a challenge for you. I don't know if you in school ever had someone say, I dare you. Or maybe I triple dog dare you. Remember those? I dare you to move forward with one of these tools. I dare you to say, God, I don't know if I believe I'm part of a plan, but boy, it sure would be nice. I certainly feel alone, but I'm gonna take the dare. I'm going to look at my current circumstances. I'm gonna look at the challenges before me and I'm gonna move forward with God as if I'm not alone. As if there's a real plan I can't see. As if there are some things I could do that I haven't yet thought of to do in this circumstance. I dare you to move forward with God with just one of those tools this week. What would it look like for you to do that? Again, and what it's getting at here in Hebrews is that when you know that Jesus is the author and finisher of your faith, you can dare 
to run forward with God, to run with endurance with God as you face the challenges before you. What does that look like? Last couple of years, my wife has been through several back surgeries and it was a very, very difficult sprint. And I can't tell you how many times I felt very, very alone. I think if you've ever been a caregiver of anyone, you know the feeling of just loneliness of being a caregiver with my wife and my son at times. And now that we're kind of on the, at least peeking out the back end of that thing, man, I have felt all the things that I've talked about today. Felt alone, I felt helpless, and I never feel helpless, and I felt so helpless. And I felt like there's no plan, there's no purpose, it's just meaningless suffering. But I just kept daring myself to move forward with God. It was during that time I called a friend of mine up. His name's Harry. I've known Harry for about 25 years. Harry and his wife had been preparing for a big future and retirement and 30 years of saving and big plans and big dreams. And just before they got to retirement age, his wife got dementia. And Harry's come and spoken at our equipping service several times. And his wife, as she was going through those final stages of dementia, you know, I got a chance to talk with her here at the front row, hug her, encourage her, and pray with her. But she died last year. But it was many, many years of running a very different race than what Harry and his wife had planned. So I called Harry up about a year ago, maybe six months ago now, and I said, Harry, how did you change the expectation you had of yourself and God when you went through circumstances you don't like or didn't want? I'm trying to dare myself to trust God in circumstances I never pictured myself in. He said to me something crazy. He was one of my professors at Bible college. He said, well, Chad, I started reading theology books. Really? He said, really? I said, how is that helpful? He said, I started going back to the Bible and seeing what God really promised me and what he didn't. He promised he would be with me. He didn't promise things would be easy. And I've been holding up this contract to God saying, you promised me good circumstances, but he didn't. As I began to lay aside the expectations, lay aside the requirements I'd placed on God that he never promised me, then I was able to look and pick up the promises he had given me. He was my comforter. He was my strength my refuge. It's as I laid aside expectations that weren't true, I was able to pick up promises that were true. And I was able to face my race, which I didn't want to run. I didn't want these circumstances with the absolute confidence that God was with me. Yeah, that conversation was so helpful. It was just kind of like him daring me to move forward I got to move forward either way, but to move forward with God being with me, knowing he could and would and had worked in circumstances like mine in the past. See, that's why the main message of the Bible is about a God who came to earth. And he didn't come and live a comfortable life. He lived a very difficult life. But in the midst of that difficulty, what came out of him was forgiveness. What came out of him was joy. What came out of him was courage. What came out of him while being crucified was othered centeredness. Father, forgive them. 
for they know not what they do. It's why we're here as a church. We are here as a church to comfortably connect you to God and your friends and your family through the Bible and a community, a group of friends, right? Other people who have been through or are going through circumstances like yours. So, so let us be your community. Let us help you connect with a God who can help you during your challenges to run the race with endurance. Maybe you need to sign up for a group. Maybe it's a Zoom group that will eventually turn into a, a meeting together group as, as our, our grand reopening is coming very, very soon. And we are so excited about having everyone back. We are so excited about the ways we're going to offer brand new tools to have people who've never been to church, who've had a lonely, challenging time for the last few months saying, I need something more in my life. So much of the last few weeks and months have felt so, so meaningless. And we as a church are going to have an incredible opportunity to serve our current community and beyond to give love and courage and affirmation to people who felt distressed, stressed out and overwhelmed. And maybe God would prompt you as we look to our grand reopening here and details coming in our newsletter coming very, very soon. Maybe God would be prompting you to say, I want to run my race with God with me, but I want to look around. I want to be somebody in the stands cheering on the other people coming in the doors or watching online at our church. I want to cheer for them through my financial giving. I want to cheer for them by being the first to raise my hand and say, I want to be a greeter when services reopen or, or when we launch the children's ministry. I want to serve in the children's ministry to help someone's family, a kid who may not feel the kind of love or care or tenderness that I felt as a kid. But I dare you to move. I dare you to move forward with God and to ask him how you can invite him into your life and be a source of courage and joy for those around you. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for the challenge. I dare us as a church to love in ways we've never loved before. God, we thank you that you loved in an incredible way. You loved your enemies on the cross. So Father, we just wanna to respond to you and maybe you wanna to pray to God right now. Say, God, I invite the same God who endured the cross to come into my heart. I need that strength and I need that endurance. I welcome you into my life. Teach me how to trust you the same way Jesus trusted you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Look forward to seeing you next week and seeing you in this room very, very soon.